0: From the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America.
1: You know, I think that the, that the museum plays a very important role, and I think it, it plays a, a lot of different roles. I mean, first and foremost, it, it serves an educational role. People, I think, can get a lot of, a much better understanding of this country, of the country's history, of some of the decisions that were made. B- both at the founding of this country with the Constitution and um, as the country has has evolved and and of course a better understanding of the role that African Americans have played and the contributions that they have made to the United States. In a way the museum is is in part a memorial, I think a memorial to all of the the work that that, that African Americans uh, you know have done over the years and contributed And, of course, they're the famous people that we know about, but I think it's also a memorial to all of those people whose names we'll never know and faces we'll never see.
0: The Honorable Robert L. Wilkins Judge U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. When the National Museum of African American History and Culture opened its doors on September 24th, 2016, few at the time knew the history behind this journey. It began in the second decade of the 20th century when African American veterans got together in the nation's capital for a reunion and parade. Upset with racial discrimination they endured, they formed a the committee to construct a memorial to various African American accomplishments. In 1929, their efforts paid off. Mary Church Terrell and Mary McLeod Bethune and ten others were appointed by President Herbert Hoover to a commission charged with building a national memorial building highlighting African Americans in the arts and sciences. In 2000, the dream of a museum dedicated to the documentation of African-American life, culture, and history was an obsession for Judge Robert L. Wilkins, who quit his job when his wife was seven months pregnant with their second child, to see his dream come true. I'm Johnny O. Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, The Long Road to Hard Truth and the One-Year Anniversary of the National Museum of African-American History and Culture with the Honorable Robert L. Wilkins, Judge, U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia in Black America.
1: Just seeing this thing finally come to be and, and thinking about all of the people who had worked on it you know, years before, people like Mary McLeod Bethune and Mary Church Terrell and, and so many others, and, and that it was finally coming to be. And the irony that it was coming to be and, and going to be opened and dedicated by, you know, a black president, Barack mm-hmm. Obama. And, um, and, and when, you know, they, at the end of the ceremony, they had uh, uh, Ruth Bonner, I believe was her name, who was 99 years old and whose father had been um, uh, a slave uh, before the Civil War. Um, she rang this uh, old church bell from, a, from an old black church to open the doors and then they had um, church bells from all over Washington and Virginia ringing at the same time, so you could just hear these bells ringing from the distance. It was really, really just chilling um, moment. And to see, and to see her proudly walk into the to the museum, flanked by you know President Obama and Michelle Obama, was just really just an amazing sight.
0: When Judge Robert L. Wilkin was a young attorney, he attended a wake for a fellow church member. Paying his respect to the family and listening to the many stories told by the elders of the church. During the drive home with his wife, he thought, why didn't African Americans have a place for all these wonderful stories to pass on to future generations? Little did he know, there had been a dedicated effort for decades to create the museum to do just that. Judge Wilkins made it his mission to bring that dream to a reality. His book, Long Road to Hard Truth, chronicled the early history in creating a monument for African-American Civil War soldiers and his participation in reviving the idea of the museum. Behind the backdrop of recent events, including Charlottesville and the controversy of taking down Confederate monuments, In Black America spoke with Judge Wilkins regarding the one-year anniversary of the museum and these events.
1: Well, Muncie, Indiana, was uh, kind of your prototypical uh, midwestern town. About eighty thousand people had a university there, a Ball State University. Also, a Ball Corporation from the the Ball jars that you may remember from mm-hmm. uh, canning mm-hmm. yep. um, was was founded and headquartered there. Um and a lot of um industry, you know the car industry, my grandfather worked for the Delco battery plant for thirty some years and and many others worked with the Chevrolet or the uh, Borg Warner transmission plants, et cetera so it's just kind of a working class town you know um and um you know a good- a good place to grow up, but you know it had its own set of issues you know with uh, racial issues and and clan activity and that that sort of thing too going on
0: were there any defining events in your 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 upbringing that that led you to become a judge?
1: you know I can't think of anything in particular you know i I did have a sense of you know th- that there were injustices going on, and I had a sense that there were people you know that you would hear about who who felt like they did not get a fair shake from the justice system, particularly the criminal justice system, um, or that they you know, feel like that they didn't have good lawyers. I think that's one thing that, that motivated me you know, to want to become a public defender later after I went to law school, and perhaps it did play a role in me um, thinking about you know, becoming a judge one
0: day. I found it interesting you obtained an undergraduate degree in chemical engineering that eventually led you to law school. Why chemical engineering as an undergraduate pursuit? Well,
1: you know, <laughs> I think I think when I was in high school, the, the I didn't put a whole lot of um, you know, analysis behind it. I knew that I loved chemistry and I knew that engineers um were in high demand and 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 those were good jobs that paid a lot of money so I put two and two together and said well maybe I'll be a chemical engineering major and uh you know when I got to college I liked engineering okay but I think I I started gravitating towards having more interest in social justice issues and civil rights issues and and then I I thought you know I would rather work on those things than work in a plant or in a research facility or, or something like that as an engineer, and, and just decided to, to move towards law.
0: Once out of law school, you law clerk for whom?
1: I uh, was had the honor of clerking for Judge Earl B. Gillum Jr., who um, was the first African American state court judge in San Diego, and then the first African American federal court judge in um san diego and um and he hired me as a law clerk and i worked for him for a year
0: and then you did some work in the public defender's office
1: then i came to washington dc to be a public defender which was my my dream job and uh, and i absolutely loved it i spent 10 years at that office um, five years uh, trying cases and arguing appeals and then five years as head of special litigation for the office, which meant that I dealt with a lot of the policy issues and, and uh, work with uh, boards and commissions and, and things of that
0: nature. What led you to write Long Road to Hard Truth?
1: Well, as I began to you know, get interested in really why there wasn't a national museum dedicated to African-American history and culture, I started asking my question myself that question around 1996 um to really understand why there wasn't one I had to go back and research you know all of the the efforts and as I began to peel back that onion I saw that the that the efforts to to do this went all the way stretched all the way back to 1916 which I thought was amazing and basically no one knew that and so we brought, I and others brought that to the attention of the Congress. And I think that that helped spurred them to act finally to create this, uh, this museum. But I thought that it would be, uh, you know, uh, important for the public to understand the long journey that it took to create this museum so that people would appreciate the institution and not just think that, uh, you know, it was a simple, simple thing to get it done and to get it built.
0: Something I read prior to our interview discussion last year you quit your job to write this book
1: so I quit my job to help get the museum going okay and then um and then um you know I did a lot of the research during that time for this book and started it way way back then it in you know in August of 2000 I was so um you know obsessed with wanting to work towards creating this museum and I was doing it kind of as a as a hobby and, and part time basis that I, you know, convinced my wife to let me quit my job to work on it full time. And she was seven months pregnant with our second child. Um and so it wasn't the best time for me to to quit. But um, but she had faith that this was also the right thing to do because she wanted to see this institution built. So we we decided we'd eat a lot of beans and cornbread and mm-hmm. and and uh, and find a way to make things happen on on one salary instead of two for a, a year or so while I tried to give this a go, and I ultimately worked you know on this for about a year and a half and during that time um September 11th attacks happened right um and that kind of threw us off but we we were able to kind of bounce back and get congress as a compromise to create a presidential commission to to plan how to move forward with the museum and I served on that commission and 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 I went and got a job at a law firm to make some money.
0: <laughs> I understand. What led to that first initial effort to have a museum for African-Americans?
1: Well, it's a great question. You know, back... In 1915, the country was celebrating the 50th anniversary of the end of the Civil War and the Union victory, and there was a a reenactment of the Union Army Victory Parade Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. And in the original Union Victory Parade, they didn't um, invite black combat troops to participate. So none participated there in May of 1865, but... In the 50th anniversary, they said that the veterans, black veterans, could participate. So that was the good news. The bad news was that you know all of the balls and banquets and everything um, that the union veterans organization was planning was only for the white veterans and not the black veterans. So they had to raise money and do their own thing um, and, and find people to open up their homes so that they'd have a place to stay because, of course, they couldn't stay in the hotels in Washington, et cetera, from out of town. And the other thing that was happening that was uh, left a bad taste in everyone's mouth was the movie Birth of a Nation had just come out right. earlier in 1915. And it was essentially a slander of black soldiers and everything that they stood for and fought for, uh, for the Union. And of course, it was um, all about how terrible it was to give black folks the right to vote, and that they were abusing it, and that uh, all the black men were interested in doing was chasing and raping white women. And so they needed to be lynched and put in their place and intimidated so that they wouldn't vote. And um and so the the Ku Klux Klan was the hero of the movie Birth of a Nation and it was all about how the Klan was setting things right by, you know, lynching black men to put them in their place and to um and to put, you know, whites on top again, so to speak. And so th- that movie was going across the country, you know, taking litter- the nation by storm and and so all of that was happening in 1915 at this 50th anniversary and so you know after that you know there's a group of African Americans here in Washington who said you know what we need to have we need to counter this movie and this in this uh, attitude with a physical memorial here in Washington to the contributions of of colored soldiers to this country And within a couple of years, they said, you know, we've contributed more than just in the military, so we need to have a a national memorial building was what they called it, but it was essentially a national museum to document African-American achievement and contributions to America. And so that's really when the seed was planted and how This movement began?
0: Obviously, you know, once the idea came for a museum, you got to have money. And I think uh, what that President Calvin Coolidge, you know, put forth legislation for a commission, but that was in 1929, if memory and history serve me correct. 1929 was the year of the stock market crash.
1: Yes. So so the timing was bad for for those early pioneers of this effort. Mm-hmm. They got legislation passed that created a, a a presidential commission and and authorized them to to raise money and find the site to to build this national memorial building the Negro Achievement. But, you know, there were southern legislators who were successful in getting any federal money stripped out of the bill. So they had to do it without any any help and this and this is in nineteen twenty nine and, and just within a few months of that bill passing the you know the stock market crashes and it's the onset of the Great Depression. And so you know, they already had one hand tied behind their back, you know, before the Depression and with the Depression they just really had no chance to to construct this 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 memorial building. Were they and the effort just died off?
0: Were there any aha moments during that writing and researching the book? You know, there were there were
1: several. I think uh, you know, I didn't really understand the impact of the movie Birth of a Nation, and that that helped to you know motivate the beginning of this effort. You know, mm-hmm. there was uh, I came across a flyer from 1916 of one of the first rallies that they were having for this and they had in all capital letters uh, across the top in large type birth of a race and you know i I am positive that that was a, a their you know counter attack to birth of a nation and in fact a lot of the people who were a part of that effort in 1916 were also Part of the you know founding of the NAACP and other efforts that were you know fighting lynching and fighting *Birth of a Nation*, and so just as Carter G. Woodson you know was motivated to uh, found the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History in 1915, in part to respond to Birth of a Nation*, um, I think that that movie um, inspired the people you know to want to found. The institution that would later become this this museum, and um, and uh, so that was that was definitely an aha moment when I when I realized that.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio, and we're speaking with the honorable Robert L. Wilkins, Judge U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, and author of Long Road to Hard Truth the 100-Year Mission to Create the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Judge Wilkins, I found it interesting when you were appointed to the commission, and you tied that in when you first met Hank Aaron and that first baseball game in Cincinnati.
1: You know, that was uh, just something that gave me goosebumps to meet Hank Aaron and when he was appointed to that presidential commission that Congress created mm-hmm. in 2001 because as I talk about in my book you know when I was ten years old or eleven years old I think it was. Um, you know, I was there in Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati and saw him hit a uh, home run seven fourteen, the tie bay Bruce record. And um and I'll never forget that day. Um and you know the vice president of the United States was there and they stopped the game and you uh, know was all the fanfare. And um you know he 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 made history and I and I had my mom go out and buy me a Hank Aaron baseball glove that I that I played with in little league and 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 everything this was my hero and then um little would I know that, that many years later I would get to serve on a commission with him to um to create you know this wonderful institution of this National Museum of African American History and Culture
0: What role do you think the museum plays in today's society
1: I think that the museum plays a very important role and I think it, it plays a, a lot of different roles I mean First and foremost, it it serves an educational role. You know people I think can get a lot of um, uh, a, a much better understanding of this country, of the country's history, of some of the decisions that were made b- both at the founding of this country, with the Constitution, and um, as the country has has evolved and and of course, a better understanding of the role that African Americans have played. And the contributions that they have made to the United States. In a way, the museum is is in part a memorial. I think a memorial to all of the the work that 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 African Americans uh, you know have done over the years and contributed. And of course, they are the famous people that we know about. But I think it's also a memorial to all of those people whose names we'll never know and faces we'll never see who Who tried to live with dignity and who suffered and perished you know, and so you know I think it serves um serves lots of roles, and I think it's also um hopefully can help to serve a role of of provoking discussion and 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 creating some understanding um you see when when people are in the museum, black or white, whatever their race may be. You see um people you know they're they're very respectful of each other, and you see you know people who don't know each other having conversations about what they're seeing and what it means to them and I think that that that, that that's helpful and that's that's needed.
0: You've written a book about our history. what was that first day like for you once the museum opened?
1: It was really um it was almost i think I had almost as strong emotions. That day as I did when, you know, when each of my two sons were born, because um, just seeing this thing finally come to be and, and thinking about all of the people who had worked on it, you know, years before, people like Mary McLeod Bethune and Mary Church Terrell and, and so many others, and, and that it was finally coming to be. And the irony that it was coming to be and and going to be opened and dedicated by, you know, a black president, Barack mm-hmm. Obama. And um, and and when you know they at the end of the ceremony they had uh, uh, Ruth Bonner I believe was her name who was 99 years old and whose father had been um, uh, a slave uh, before the Civil War she rang this uh, old church bell from a from an old black church to open the doors and then they had um, church bells from all over Washington and Virginia. Ringing at the same time, so you could just hear these bells ringing from the distance. It was really, really just chilling moment, and to see her proudly walk into the to the museum, flanked by you know President Obama and Michelle Obama, was just really just an amazing sight. And I think it just um, really symbolized this long road that it took to create the institution, but that. You know, who would have thunk that? You know, a hundred years ago, would they have ever imagined that the building would finally open and it would open on the National Mall and that a, a black man would be on the White House uh, when it opened? You know, I, I I doubt that any of the people you know at the beginning of that journey would would have uh, believed believed that that's how that the journey would would end.
0: With the backdrop of Charlottesville and the controversy surrounding taking down the Confederate monuments and the boycotts and uh, the national anthem at NFL games, how does the book in the museum put all that in its proper context?
1: Well, you know, I think that all of those events show that this museum is, you know, is needed and was needed more than ever because I think that you know, hopefully what what this museum can do is to help us understand the country and the complicated history of this country. And, you know, I, I called my book The Long Road to Hard Truth because mm-hmm. I was paraphrasing the late, great James Baldwin, right. who said, my history contains the truth about America. It's going to be hard to teach it. You know, there there are some painful things in that museum because um, there are some painful chapters and dark chapters of American history when it comes to dealing with people of African descent. And we've never really completely dealt with that history in this museum, I think, can help us to deal with it and to bring it more front and center instead of sweeping it under the rug. And I think that, you know, these things have been swept under the rug too long, and that contributes to some of the unrest and the misunderstanding and the, I guess, misstatements or, or, or uh, of, of history or people um, trying to, you know, contend that, you know, the Confederacy wasn't really about race or slavery, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't seriously make those sorts of contentions if you really deal with the, the true history of America, you know, as it is presented in that, in that museum.
0: In your opinion, why is it so difficult for us as a nation to have a hard truth about race here in this country?
1: Well, I think that that it's really just a matter of, you know, people are, are proud of this country. And I think it's hard for people to reconcile being proud of the country and, and saying that, you know, that the United States is a great nation, which it is while also acknowledging that 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 there are some warts there and that there have been some serious mistakes that have been made in that there was a lot of hypocrisy at the founding you know you've got these documents that have wonderful concepts that were written mm-hmm. you know the declaration of independence and the constitution and the bill of rights but the hypocrisy was that that um you know they didn't really intend for those rights and those those wonderful privileges of citizenship to apply to everyone and um you know i think it's just human nature to not want to uh you know talk about uh one's mistakes or to dwell on bad things that, that you we, you've done in the past and um and so i think um you know that human nature spills over into you know how history has been taught in this country, and how people think about American history sometimes. But I think, you know, we we've we've got to be mature enough to understand that um, you know history and life is more complicated than that, and that you know we we need to understand all facets of these things, and um, and just you know acknowledging that you know the founding fathers. Uh, were flawed, you know, doesn't mean that you're, you know, committing treason or something, you know. But but people, you know, some people um, think that, you know, everything is, is black and white and there's no gray and, and they don't, you know, they don't want to think about things in that fashion. But, but I think, you know, a mature nation has to
0: Judge Wilkins, uh, final question. Who came up with the concept of how the museum was built?
1: Well, there, were, there was an international design competition that the Smithsonian held, and there were three uh, black architects, three architects of, of African descent, who um, had a joint venture and, uh, for a concept for the museum.
0: The Honorable Robert L. Wilkins, Judge, U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, and author of Long Road to Hard Truth, the 100-Year Mission to Create the National Museum of African American History and Culture. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to your future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica@kut.org. at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can add previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.